This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. That sort of reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw one time that said, um, Lord, help me to be half the man my dog thinks I am. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, when my kids were little, I, was, um, I came in walking on crutches one day, and my son, Anthony, said, Hey, Dad, what happened to you? I said, man, you'll never believe it. You know how some people jam a basketball? Well, I was actually, I jumped so high, I was coming down through the hoop. And I caught my ankle on the net. And he believed me. That was awesome. Of course, then he grew up, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. So happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. Would you guys stand? We want to give you a hand. You, You do an amazing... An amazing fill, an amazing role. Well, I can't, uh, I have a couple things to say. There's, there's a group of dads here, and uh, you guys are amazing. You know why? Because you're in church with your kids. That's how, that's how it's supposed to be. You're doing your dead-level best when your kids are young, to raise them up with a faith in God and to get them connected with God. And I applaud you. You're doing a great job. There's another group of of dads in here. And you got started a little later in the game. And you are doing your dead-level best to influence and reach your teenage children and your adult children. And uh, because you're doing the, the best thing that any father could ever do, and I know it's going to sound a little cheesy, especially since you're hearing it at church, But I want to direct your attention to the video screens because the absolute best thing that you as a dad could ever do is take your children with you where? Can you read it? Take your children with you where? To heaven. Absolutely. It's great for you to teach your children, you know, uh, how to balance a checkbook. It's great for you to teach your children how to mow the yard. It's great for you to take your children and get them exposed to things like Little League Baseball and soccer and all that kind of stuff. And and I, I, I don't want to take any of that away from you or even to be able to pay for your child's college education if, if God enables you to do that. But I want to tell you, all of those things pale in comparison to the greatest thing you could ever do, and that is take your children with you to heaven. Of course, where does that presume that you are going? You got it? Yes, take your children with you to heaven. So... Uh, for those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron, and I'm the senior pastor of New Life, and I'm going to be speaking to you for the next 30 minutes or so uh, during our Bible teaching time. And so I want to encourage you to take from your program this thing that uh, it's a fill-in-the-blank notes. And uh, we are in the middle of a series of sermons called You Ask For It, in which we are answering questions uh, that you have asked, that we gave you the opportunity to ask in the 130 or so questions that came in, we boiled down to five different topics. And this morning, I'm going to walk you through uh, the questions that you had about heaven. There were lots of questions that came in about heaven. And I was visiting with a guy this morning um, prior to church. And he said, you know, this couldn't come at a better time because several people that I know and love dearly have recently been diagnosed with diseases that could be life-ending. And um, so... Let's talk about heaven for a little bit. 
Uh, and in order to understand that, you have to, uh, you have to understand something about this book, the Bible. And so we're going to get a basic understanding by looking back at this book. Now, I've never seen one that has this title on it. Most of them say what mine does, and that is Holy Bible. But this really could be labeled the book about paradise, because that's really the story of the Bible. The Bible talks about paradise in four specific stages. And let's walk through those briefly so that we have a good background information and knowledge about heaven. The, 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 the Bible begins with the story of paradise being created. In fact, the very first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's not the beginning of God. He existed long before that. He exists from eternity But in the beginning, in terms of the beginning of the earth and the beginning of human history, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then uh, the Bible continues to tell the story of how God spoke into existence light and separated the heavens from the earth and the water from the land. And he populated the land with all sorts of creatures and he populated the oceans with all sorts of other creatures. And it ends with the creation of man. That's the whole story of paradise being created. And that's found in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, first two chapters of the Bible. But we only get to the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, and already paradise is in trouble, okay? Because Genesis chapter 3 tells the story of paradise lost. You see, on that day, Adam and Eve decided that sinning, doing doing the only thing that God said not to do, that sinning would be better for them than following God's guidelines and directions. You have any children like that? Yeah, you can walk into a place and your children can do anything in that room but one thing, and you realize that one thing has some danger connected with it, so you say to them, don't crawl on that. And they go right over. Because they have that same nature in there that Adam and Eve had. And the story of Paradise Lost is this. We don't realize it on the way in, but sin always has four buddies. And the four buddies are these, okay? The first buddy is disharmony. And sin brought disharmony. For the first time, people did not get along. In fact, God came to Adam and said, Adam, how come you ate from that tree that I said not to eat from? And what did Adam do? For the first time in the world, he pointed Eve. Right? She made me do it. Right? So he goes to Eve. Eve, how come you ate from that tree? She pointed to whom? The devil. Of course, the devil had no one to point to, right? He's got no fingers. There you go. That's, that's how that came down. So disharmony. It also comes with a concept of disease. For the first time, people got sick. It comes with decay. For the first time, people started to age and get old. And then, of course, that ended in death. There's no way to separate those four from sin. They come in the same package. It's just that the fun of sin comes first. And all those four buddies come later. So now we have this paradise in which there's disharmony, there's disease, there's decay, and there's death. Does that sound like paradise to you? Those are not four things I think of when I think of paradise. No. It's the story of paradise lost. The entire rest of the Bible 
is the story of what God went through. So we're only in the third chapter of the very first book. All the rest of the Bible is about what God went through to purchase the restoration of paradise. And it's a long and involved process. And it cost God dearly. It cost him the life of his one and only son. But it's about paradise being purchased again. So I call that paradise purchased. We'll talk about that a little bit later this morning. And then at the very end of the Bible, God tells us the story of paradise restored. What's coming. And so we're going to take just a little excerpt from that part of the story in the next to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 7. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to underline the words new. Both times it's used there because that's what we have to get a hold of. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone. What's the last word? For, how does that sound? Does that sound a little bit more like paradise? Yeah. That's paradise restored. You see, from the very beginning, it became evident that God's plan for this earth, once sin had entered it and disease and decay and death had entered it, that God was going to restore it to a point that man would once again be living in a paradise in complete harmony with the creation that God had created for him. Paradise restored. Now, as we... As we walk through that, there, there, are, there are two principles and a conclusion I want to draw from it. And there's so many things we could draw out of that. But let's draw the first one, and that is this, that, that God was going to restore paradise to its original perfection. God's going to restore this earth, the one that you and I walk on. God's going to restore this earth to its original state of perfection. That's what he says over and over and over again in the Bible. That's his plan for us. In fact, Paul writes about that and said, All creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. We're going to talk about how you can be one of those at the very end. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from what? From death and decay. So all of creation is looking forward to that. The birds and the animals, they don't even even have a, uh, what shall I say, they can't put it in words, but it's part of their nature. And even the earth itself longs to be redeemed and restored to that original state of perfection. The second thing that's important for us to notice is that God will restore his presence to his people. You know, a few years ago, well, maybe more than a few years ago, John Lennon challenged us with a song called Imagine. 
And there's a lot in that song that's actually really good in spite of the fact that it starts out with the phrase, imagine there's no heaven. Okay? What John didn't realize is that the entire rest of the song that he was imagining was actually heaven. Yeah, imagine the people all living as one. Yeah. I want you to imagine with me, if you would, the earth where every single person gets along with every other person on the face of planet Earth. Can you imagine living with people and there's no friction? And there's no tension? And no one has to walk on eggs? And no one has to wonder what mood somebody else is in? Imagine this. Imagine a world where there are no fences. You know why there are no fences? There's nothing to keep in. And there's nothing to keep out. Imagine a world filled with creatures. And the Bible says that the lion will lie down by the lamb. There's no friction. There's no food chain. Yeah. Imagine a world that has weather systems that bring no tornadoes. No hurricanes. Imagine a world that never shakes with an earthquake. No form of any disaster. Did you get to see the sunset last night? It was, if you didn't, you missed a one in a million. It was spectacular. Probably fewer of you saw the sun rise this morning. <laughs> I can tell you it was also beautiful. All right? Yeah. I want you to imagine a world. Have you ever been in a place and you're just awestruck with its beauty? Some place like Yosemite or... Uh, the beach or Rocky Mountain National Park or Crater Lake or some other just stunningly beautiful place. I remember years ago standing at the edge of Lake Louise up in Canada in Banff Na uh, National Park and it was just it was this backdrop of mountains and a big glacier that comes down into the lake and the lake is there and behind is a beautiful French chateau that must have 500 rooms in it. It was humongous. I was between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college, and the major event of my life, my senior year in high school, was not my graduation. The major event of my life is I had started dating a girl. <laughs> That's way higher than graduation, right? And the girl that I was dating at that time is now my wife. That's Monica. I stood at Lake Louise. And you know what I said to my parents? Wow, this is beautiful. And then I said this. This could only be better if. And what do you think was on the end of that? If Monica was here. Well, something I wanted to share with her. 
want you to think about this. That world that has no fences and, and it has no friction, it has no tension, and it's a perfectly restored paradise of lush green beauty. There's no droughts. There's no floods. There's no earthquakes. There's no hurricanes. It's just wonderful. It's fabulous. It's beautiful. There are waterfalls and mountains and glaciers and oceans and all kinds of fabulous stuff that just takes your breath away. And you're standing there and you're trying to take this all in. And all of a sudden, it strikes you. Wow. Who made all this? Who made this possible for me? Who brought me here? And you realize that God brought you there. This is a world that God created for you to enjoy. And you think, wow, this could only be better if God was here. And guess what? What did we just read? Now the dwelling of God is where? With us. Yeah. Imagine not having to pray to God, but imagine walking up and having a conversation with Him. Imagine instead of bowing your knees and praying to a heavenly Father up there, imagine walking up and talking to your heavenly Father and looking Him in the eyes and having Him look you in the eyes, telling Him how much you love Him and hearing from Him how much He loves you. Heaven is creation being perfectly restored and it's coming and it's having God's presence be restored to His people. The conclusion I want us to draw, when you and I think about heaven, instead of visualizing someplace that's way out there, that somehow we're going to sort of travel in some astro vehicle that God's going to bring to us, to some distant star, distant planet, instead of that, I want you to think of heaven as the Bible actually describes it, a new heavens and a new earth. It's not like a distant destination we travel to. It's more like coming home. And coming home to earth as it was always meant to be. So now with that as a backdrop, let's take a look at the specific questions that you ask uh, additionally to, uh, to these basic questions. And the first question is this. Are there different levels of heaven? If I were to state that question a little more fully, Paul writes and says he was caught up into the third heaven. And I know that there are other uh, religions that teach that there's different level, different numbers of levels in the afterlife. So are there different levels in heaven? Well, if we go to that passage, and I won't take the time to read it to you this morning, where Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven, what you and I need to realize is that Paul was using a figure of speech, much like you and I sometimes use and said, when we are in a place where we think we're just, oh man, this is just great. We say, I was, I, I was like in seventh heaven, right? You've heard that phrase. It doesn't actually mean that you think that there are seven heavens. Paul was a Jew, and the Jews saw the world divided into sort of three heavens, the first heaven was what we, you and I would call the atmosphere. It's the place that the, the birds fly and the clouds float. That was heaven number one. Heaven number two was out, the, out there in space where the sun, moon, and stars were. That was the second heaven. And the third heaven was the place that God lived. 
So when Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven, he wanted the people to know that in this vision, he wasn't taken up to where the birds fly, and he wasn't taken up to where the sun, moon, and stars were, but that he was taken up to the actual place where God lives, to that heaven. So he called it the third heaven. So, no, there's only one level of heaven talked about in the Bible. The next question is this. Will we know our family and friends in heaven? Well, I want to tell you the Bible gives a resounding yes to that. That's comforting, don't you think? Absolutely, that's comforting. I've I've got four grandparents who are in heaven. I've got a father who's in heaven. I have several aunts and uncles who are in heaven. I've got at least one cousin who's in heaven. Uh, And I'm looking forward to seeing them again. How do I know that I will see them again and that we will know them? Well, let's take a look at a passage that Paul wrote to the people in the church at Thessalonica. Now, they they had a question because someone had told them that if you're alive when Jesus comes again, you go to heaven. But if you die before Jesus comes again, you miss the boat. Okay, the rest of us are going, but you won't be going. And so that was very disconcerting to them because every time a loved one died, they think, Oh, man, they died too early. They missed it. So he writes this to them. He says, now, we tell you this directly from the Lord. By the way, would that be on a good authority? Okay, here we go. Directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, First, here's the first thing that's going to happen. The Christians who have died will rise from their graves. So my four grandparents and my father and my cousin, my aunts and my uncles, the loved ones that you have who have died in Christ, they're going to rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with whom? The Lord forever. And then he says, so comfort each other with these words. Can I submit to you that if we're caught up to meet the Lord and we don't have a clue who those other people are, that's not going to be a whole lot of comfort. His whole point is you're going to be reunited with the ones that you love. I would tell you this, that when Moses and Elijah came down and they ministered to Jesus on this earth and Peter, James, and John were there and saw it, that Moses was still Moses. Elijah was still Elijah. They still had their original identities. I'm not sure if they were wearing New Life name tags, which I should be wearing and I'm not right now. Okay? I'm not sure that maybe they were wearing a tag that said Moses because I'm pretty sure that Peter, James, and John had never seen Moses, but somehow they knew who he was. He was still Moses. Uh, Elijah was still Elijah. And, and, And they had a wonderful conversation with Jesus. Everything I read from cover to cover in the Bible indicates that when you and I and our loved ones go to inhabit the, this, the paradise that God restores on this earth, that we will carry with us our earthly identities into heaven. And so look around this room. You know, if I picked on some people, I would say Brad is still going to be Brad. And that's a good thing, right? So yeah, we're going to still know Brad. Yeah. And you look around and see people that you know in this room and love in this room. And that's a great comfort. Now, let's go to the next question. What happens to Christians who die before God creates the new heaven and the new earth? Okay, if this is heaven, 
And God's going to restore this earth and, and he's going to restore uh, the world to what it was supposed to be and create the new heavens and the new earth right here. What about my dad and my grandparents who died already? Where are they? Okay. Well, the Bible's cl- pretty clear about this, that God has created a sort of temporary paradise. You know what I like to think of it as? It's a heavenly cruise with one port of call. Okay? And that port of call is the new heavens and the new earth. Now, let me show you a couple of passages that talk about this. Jesus replied to, the, to one of the thieves that was being crucified next to him, who turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus turned to him and said, I assure you, today you will be with me where? In paradise. You're on the cruise, bud. It's, it's all good. The food is great. Isn't that cruises? I hear I've never been on one, but is the food okay? Yeah, usually the scenery is pretty good, right? Yeah. Paul writes and says, look, I'm torn between two desires. I have, I long to go and be with Christ. Jesus said to the thief, you will be with me where? In paradise. Paul said, I long to be with Christ there in paradise, which would be better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. That theme is all the way through the Bible. So what happens to Christians who die now? They go to a temporary paradise that God has created, which is a wonderful place. And then when it's time for Christ to come again and to restore this earth and to create our eternal home, they will come with him, which is why their bodies will rise from the dead. And when you and I are given new bodies, eternal bodies, they will be given their eternal bodies. And then together we will, in, we will go to receive our inheritance, our eternal inheritance, right here. Let's go to the next question. What will we do in heaven? You know how I, this question usually gets phrased to me? Pastor, I've heard that in heaven we're all going to wear white robes, we're going to play harps, and we're going to sing forever. That does not sound like paradise to me. Right? <clears throat> I want you to think about this. Because the Bible does kind of give us that snapshot. So I want you to think about this. Suppose that you had come to study earth, and you got a, you got a camera, and you took a picture, and somebody came and looked at that picture and decided that everything on earth was like that picture. And you happened to show up, at a black and white affair. Okay? All the guys are there in, in tuxes and all the women are there in formal dresses. They're all dressed in black and the guys are all wearing black tuxedos and everybody's formally dressed to the hilt and they snap the picture and people find that later and they go, what's life on earth like? And well, they all look like penguins to me. They must dress like that every day. Now there is a picture of us wearing white robes and singing and playing harps and praising God. But friends, that's just a snapshot of one of the things that we're going to do. If this earth is going to be restored to its original perfection, and if we are going to be restored to that wonderful relationship with God, I would submit to you, what are we going to do in heaven? What Adam and Eve were supposed to be doing when they were eating on the wrong tree. Got it? Yeah. We're going to be traveling and enjoying the beauty of creation. And we're going, to be, we're going to be blown away at the wonder and the awe of the things that God creates. And, and we're going to enjoy doing that. And there will be times 
when we all gather, just like we gather here for a worship service, and we're going to gather by the thousands, no, by the millions, and maybe even by the billions. And when we sing, are we going to sing? Oh, yeah. And is it going to be loud? Oh, yeah. And when we sing that song, our love is big, our love is loud, you're going to hear it from a long ways away. And it will be fun. It's paradise. Next question. Will my pet be with me in heaven? We couldn't talk about heaven and not talk about that, could we? Of course, and I, I, I would love, I, I just can't imagine how many times I've been asked that question. Will my pet be with me in heaven? Okay? I wish I could give you a definitive answer, okay? But I'm going to give you two answers. Number one, the Bible is very, very, very clear that there will be all sorts of animals in heaven. I told you about one earlier where in describing heaven, the Bible says the lion will lay down right beside the lamb. So there's going to be all sorts of creatures in heaven. So if you're wondering, will I have a pet to love? It's like every animal will be a pet, okay? So... You, you, you'll definitely be able to get your pet fixed. But you're going to go, what about my pet? Because I'm quite sure that none of the cats in heaven will compare to Fluffy. Right? Because Fluffy was my cat. Well, I don't know for sure, but I do, I do, I do it leads me to the next point. Okay? I want to talk to you about the surprise factor. Never underestimate the ability of an almighty, all-powerful God to roll out a few surprises that just sort of blow us away, one of which might be, please don't hold me to this, but maybe Fluffy will be there. I can't tell you that for sure, all right? But here's what the Bible does say. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So there's going to be a wow factor in heaven that God just gives us a little glimpse here and there, but when, when this earth is restored and the dwelling of God is right here among us and we see him face to face and he starts to roll out our inheritance and all of what this new heaven and this new earth is like, friends, I want to tell you, it's pretty cool. And, and he very clearly says, use your wildest imaginations and you're still going to fall short. So that's what I call the surprise of the wow factor. Now let's go to three principles for today because these are the ones that are the most important. And I want you to get them clearly. Number one, since this earth is going to be restored to its original condition and since you and I are going to live at best 100 years on this earth and more than likely closer to 70 to 80 years at max and the rest of the time we're going to be in eternity, we shouldn't invest too heavily in the here and now. I believe with all of my heart that if Jesus was standing right here, and if you were to ask him, what one thing would you change about Christians, if you could, I believe he would say, I would change the fact that they invest way too much of their focus, time, attention, energy, and money on the things of this life. It's amazing how often we live as if we hoped that we would never die living for the here and now. The second thing, 
principle for today is we shouldn't demand the satisfaction from this world that God has promised in the next. Can we just make an agreement that from this day on, we're not going to be shocked or surprised or have our faith shaken when someone who's a good person ends up in a tragedy. As if, how could that happen? How could, how could this wonderful person, how could God allow this wonderful person to have this tragedy in their life? I mean, where is God after all? And God is saying, friends, this is earth, not heaven. What are the four buddies that came with sin? Disharmony, disease, decay, and death. But when any one of those four happens to a good person, we can stand by and get all shocked. Like, wow, I don't know how that could happen. It's because oftentimes we are expecting the satisfaction from this life that God has promised in the next life. That's a really important principle. And then number three, if I forget everything else I said this morning, you've got to get this one. We shouldn't live one more day without making our reservations. I want you to think about this for a minute. The greatest event that you could ever go to, whatever it is in your world, okay? I, I happen to be a golfer, right? So one of the greatest things, if you could put in my hands a ticket to next year's U.S. Open that's going to be at Olympic Golf Club right here in San Francisco, and I would stand there on the ropes and watching the greatest players in the world. Okay, that would be way cool. And I, can, I would tell you for sure that if I had a ticket in my hand today, I would, the first thing I would do is I would go to my calendar and I would reserve that day. And I would tell Denise, don't you dare put an appointment on that day. That day is reserved, right? Nothing happens on that day except I'm going to that. Why? Because that's huge in my world. Whatever it would be in your world. I want you to think about that for a minute. How that would take priority and precedence. And how excited you would be. And I would take that ticket and I would put it someplace where no one could get to it but me. And I would know right where it was. Because a year from now, when the U.S. Open is played, I wouldn't want to be going, where did I put that? Are you kidding? No, that's really important stuff for me. Did you know that God wants to put in your life, within your grasp, your personal reservation for the new earth and the new heavens. It's a ticket. I want you to look inside your program because I wanted to help us get this concept down. So inside your program, there is a ticket, okay? I, I can tell you that I've decided to keep this in my Bible because it's my reminder that I have a ticket already. I have a place reserved. I want you to look at the ticket carefully. Do you see the picture of the earth in the background? I want you to imagine that that's the completely restored and renewed. Um, that's the new earth. Okay? You see it says personal reservation at the top. Now, right where it says name, I want you to write your name in there. And I'm going to tell you why I want you to write your name in there. Did you know that on the day that Jesus died on the cross... He purchased a ticket in your name, and it's in heaven waiting for you to claim it. Already been purchased, it's already in your name. 
So you can write your name in there, even if you're not a Christian. Even if you've never decided to follow Christ, the ticket already exists. It's in your name. Now drop down to the lower right-hand corner, and what's the cost down there? You see it? Yeah, drops of blood. It costs the lifeblood of Jesus. You can't buy this ticket on your own. It's only his blood that could buy it. There's only two blanks left. And one says signed, and that's for you to sign if you decided to become a follower of Christ. And the other one is for someone to authorize it. That's not for me to authorize. That's for Jesus to authorize because, friends, if Jesus doesn't authorize your ticket, you don't get in. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, here's the catch. He doesn't sign it until you do. He doesn't sign it until you do. He waits till you make the choice. Now, what's the principle? We shouldn't live not even one more day without making that reservation. You know why? Number one, why would you? If you could get your reservation made today, why wouldn't you? Number two, there is no guarantee of tomorrow. But you do have today. And I do have today. So let's go to next steps. Because the very first next step is for those of us who have never made that reservation. Now, if you've already made the reservation, don't check that first box and just say, I just want to make sure. So I check that box every Sunday. All right? Don't do that. God has a good memory. He knows. All right? So... If you made that decision a long time ago, don't check that. But if you've never made that decision, I want you to do two things. I I want you to mean it, okay? But I want you to check that box, and I want you to come and talk to me after church. Okay? I'm deciding today. I'm choosing for the first time to become a follower of Jesus because that's how you get your ticket. And I want you to be able to to know for sure. Then the second thing that we can do as as a point of following up is I will intentionally work at investing less time, attention, and money on this earth and more of it in heaven. Can I challenge every single Christian in this room to work at that this week? To put less focus on the here and now. Less focus on our cars. Less focus on our houses. Less focus on all the things that we, we go to do on this earth and put our attention on the, earth, on the new heavens and the new earth, which is going to be our real home for a lot longer. And then number three, I will do everything I can as a father. This is for dads only. I will do everything I can as a father to take my children with me. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.